The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by Zacho. And Zach, we have some stuff to talk about at the top of the show here. Yes, we do. But don't you have something to ask me first? How are you doing, Hat? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm doing very well, but it's a strange time for me because uh, I, many of you have seen this already. A lot of you have seen this already. Um, I have accepted a job to go work at Blizzard as the new associate community manager in the Hearthstone team. Uh, in case you're wondering what the specifics of the day-to-day look like, I have no idea. I haven't started yet either, uh, but I imagine that I'll still be talking to a lot of people in the community given a role as community manager, but... I will no longer be a content creator, so I am stepping back from my role on this podcast, my other podcasts, and all that other stuff. It's a big, big change. Really excited to work on the game that we all, you know, we all play all the time, that we all love. But I am sad to uh, say goodbye to my podcasting career here. Yep. Um, I'm obviously very, very happy for Hacks. I think he absolutely deserves this. This is something that I knew it would eventually happen. Uh, I am obviously sad to lose my uh, co-host, my partner, for all these years. and But uh, this is not the end of our friendship, which I think will last uh, many, many more, many more years. And also communication over the game. I am sure that uh, as a community, as someone who is going to be in charge of, you know, community interaction hat is probably going to work with me more. Uh, but from the other side, from the other line of uh, Team 5, and I'm super excited for that. I'm super excited for him to uh, just get into Team 5 and learn all the uh, all the stuff that's going on there and, and just helping make the game better. And I think he will uh, because he's an outstanding, passionate member of the community. Uh who cannot be a better fit for the job. Like, had me say that he doesn't really know what's the job entails and maybe the detailed, you know, job description is still unclear. Uh, but it, if this is community and it's hat doing a role in the community team, then it's obviously going to be fantastic. And he's also going to work with fantastic people there. Uh, who are already doing a, a great job. They're just expanding that team, and uh, and they have already made great strides in, in communicating and interacting with the community uh, better uh, better and better every year, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what HAD does. Thank you. Uh, so while I am sad, I am sad uh, about him leaving the podcast. This is something that I knew would happen, in fact, this was part of my grand plan. I have told okay. Hat years ago, I have told Hat years ago that the plan is for him to eventually get into Team 5 and get Shadow Step buffed. Uh, no, the, the last part is just kidding. But there, I literally said to him that this is where I see his future uh, and he should persevere and try. It took many tries. Like It's not easy to get a job. Yeah, I tweeted out how I had applied for them. Uh, this is the eighth time I'd applied to them in the past two years. Yes, and and 
I was aware of all the attempts, uh, but I had no doubt that he would eventually get a job at Team 5, and I'm sure you will do fantastic there. Um, so I am very, very happy for you. Uh, when it comes to the podcast itself, this podcast is not going anywhere. There will be a new host um, who will work with me from from that point on. So the podcast continues. Um, I already know the person who is going to replace Hat as a host for this podcast. And I'm sure that they will do a great job. Uh, it might require some adjustments in terms of like I need I may need to adjust because uh, with Hat uh, as my partner, it was very easy for me to be ranty <laughs> and be very more of a color commentator. And maybe now I need to be a more responsible adult, uh, which is something that I hate doing, but I'm capable of since I'm already old enough. Uh, so I may be more Zen than I was before because, you know, it's easy to be unleashed or when, when somebody as, you know, as composed as hat is your podcasting partner. So, so you're saying that your rants were my fault. That's what you're saying. In fact, no, people don't know this, but Hat actually incited me many times before <laughs> to be hey, I have indeed instigated. On occasion, I have indeed instigated. And 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 I, I'm fine with that because I was often looked at as the villain of the two. And uh now it's like I may have to be more zen at least until the new guy can hold it together, you know? Because I don't want to make that guy's job too difficult, uh, at least initially. So I declare that Zacco is going to be Zen Zacco from this point on until uh, until the new guy can handle it. So I'm going to be uh, as composed as I can, and I'm practicing. I'm going to practice over the, the, the last few episodes of this uh, podcast with Hat uh, to luck. be a composed and uh, uh, responsible adult. It's going to be very difficult, I know, guys, but I'm going to try. People may not know this, by the way. Um, we've been working together for almost seven years now. I looked up the first email when I applied to be a Data Reaper uh, class expert, back when that was a thing that existed. Uh, and this was October 2016. Yeah, it's honestly, it's kind of amazes me that it's been that long because... It didn't feel that long, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, we've been working together for many years, and it's been ramped up with the podcast. And uh, yeah, for me, this is a friendship for life, and uh, you're one of the kindest people I've ever known. Thanks, buddy. I, I believe in every like I believe in you and everything that I think you can put your mind into. I think you're going to succeed. Uh, which is why I believe that Team 5 made a fantastic decision to hire you for that role. And I, I really am excited to work with you in your new role. I am really excited to interact with you on you know the, the official channels and so on. It's going to be really, really fun. And we're going to get Shadow Step buffed. Ha, 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 ha. My master plan. I don't even like Shadow Step that much, man. 
It's, I'm just going <laughs> to drop one minute cold blood back in the core set and be like, whoops. I'm fine with that hat. I'm also okay with that. We're going to buff Rogue until it's the best class forever and ever. Rogue mains unite. <laughs> okay, maybe we shouldn't say this because then the Reddit, uh, the Reddit people are going to understand. They're going to become aware of the conspiracy. But yeah, okay. It'll be all right. Well, thank you for the very kind words, but also we do have a podcast to do and we are nothing if not consummate professionals. So why don't we give people some housekeeping here up front? Uh, first of all, the next report, we don't quite know when the next report's going to be because of a teased balance patch, uh, which we'll talk about in a second here. I do expect that we'll get that patch on the uh, on Tuesday the 25th because the, ma- the Master's Tour is going on right now, right this very moment. And then usually two weeks after the expansion, they do a balance patch, which would align very well with right after the Masters Tour. So that should be on Tuesday. We'll see what happens. Not sure. Not a confirmed date, but that's our guess. Uh, And if that's the date, we won't do a report that Thursday. Uh, It'll be back the next week, but we will try and do an early impressions podcast. And then the week after will be my last show. That will be released sometime uh, May 6th, May 7th, somewhere around there. That'll be the final show for me. You'll have to bear with Vicious Syndicate as we transition into a new co-host. I don't know the timing on that. Obviously, it's none of my business. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I imagine there will be a bit of a transitional period there just for another co-host to uh, get their feet under them. And then the show must go on. I have faith that the transition will be smooth. Hopefully, Hat will help with that. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think it will be fine. Uh, you won't. Uh, I don't think we will have a a period where there won't be podcast. Uh, my aim is to have a podcast right the, the week after. We'll see if that happens. I cannot make promises, but this is the goal. I think it's a realistic goal. Okay, sounds fun. And then as far as the patch specifically, uh, Aleko tweeted and said, patch preview and posted a really buff guy. So yeah. I think we're, we're going to see some buffs, which you have mentioned as wanting. Now, it's, we did, this will be the second balance patch. We did already get one very, very light balance patch so far, which really I don't think was targeted at the competitive audience. Only changed a few cards, nudged them here and there. Um, we get to see a little bit more as to how that and meta developments have uh, have unfolded. And you've told me there's some new stuff. Yeah, there will be some updates. We're going to go class by class, obviously, as we always do with the report but there's some there's some stuff there's some data that has been collected since the report was out and maybe a day before there are new developments um there's some stuff that is worth talking about so i will update you on that whatever development happened and on things that i can already see based on the data that has been collected uh post patch so let's start with death knight Strongest uh, class in the game uh, would be easy to argue. Uh, all of its archetypes looks look very, very good. Blood is the one exception at high MMR, uh, a deck that is being effectively countered by top legend players. Um, but it remains a question whether players at lower MMR brackets can, can counter it effectively. The blood build, um, very refined, very clean, Amalgam over Construct Quarter, this would have been a change, possible change, even if Construct Quarter was not nerfed. I was was deliberating about that change. So this is a natural change. Um, Frost, uh, Death Knight is the best deck in the game. 
the build that we have in the report is insane. Pazic is nuts. I can already hard confirm it. That card is so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, we had uh, I had preliminary data on Pazic, not enough to be very confident, so I floated it. I put it on the list because I sensed that it would be really, really strong. And now that the report is out and people have played a lot of games with the list that we had uh, in the report, Pazic is a very, very good card. If you want to understand how good Pazic is in that deck, it is better than Frostworm's Fury. <laughs> in the deck it is a stronger it is a easily a top three top five maybe card in the deck better than frostman's fury nor was tweeted out right uh during the play testing right before the mt started was doing some play testing and this is the most underrated card of the expansion post a picture of posik and then said this is the most overrated post a picture of fizzle uh, both statements are accurate uh i suspect i strongly suspect that fizzle uh, that posik is going to find its way into more decks once people actually try the new decks. For example, Unholy Death Knight. I struggled to see how this card would not be good in Unholy Death Knight. I had zero data for Posic and Unholy. Nobody's playing that card in Unholy. But I do want to say that if I had data on Posic, I would look into it and it would likely, I think I would add it to Unholy Death Knight if I had data confirmation that the card would be good. So if you're playing Unholy Death Knight, Try running Pazic in that deck. If it's this good in Frost, I doubt that it's some sort of a trap in Hanoli. There's no chance. It's probably very good there, too. In addition to other decks that I'll talk about as potential Pazic candidates, like, I'm sensing that this card's going to be everywhere and might eventually get nerfed into, like, a 4-4 four four, uh, once uh, people, you know, fully understand how good it is in, in such a variety of decks. So... Um, the build, the Wooling build, uh, if I had to give you a tip on what card to switch out for Posic, it would probably be like a Necrolite, one of the Necrolites, something like that. Um, Blightfang is kind of weak in the current format because there aren't a lot of board-centric aggressive decks, so you don't get that much value, but it's probably still worth keeping. So I would cut a Necrolite and add Posic, try it out, see if it's good. I'll get confirmation, and next report, I suspect Posic's going to be in more decks. So Death Knight's very good. It's very likely that Death Knight will get nerfed to some degree. Uh, the question is how much. Uh, there is a delicate, I've pointed it in the report, there is delicate balance between the Death Knight archetypes. Um, there is a temptation, obviously, to nerf Blood because of its popularity and strength at, at lower MMR brackets. Uh, but if you nerf it too hard then you make frost even better and then if you nerf frost and blood very very hard then unholy can get out of control you look at unholy death knight's matchup spread in the report had pretty much the only reds are blood and frost those are the counters to unholy so if you nerf them too hard you might not be able to actually get rid of death knight and the third uh death knight archetype that's just flying under the radar is going to come up and be very dominant so that's a situation you want to nerf, obviously, probably Frost is the most likely deck to be nerfed. But even if you nerf it, I don't know how hard you want to nerf it. It's it's pretty tricky. Also, uh, definitely kind of keeps in check other archetypes like Miracle Rogue and Outcast DH are kept in check by Frost DK. Blood also is a strong and an important card for Outcast DH. We'll talk about Outcast DH a, a bit later about surprising trend 
in that archetype. And uh, yeah, uh, Death Knight is really good. I expect it to be nudged to some in some way. Not sure what, but hopefully not too hard. Uh, if uh, you know you nerf it a little bit with some stuff and it's still really powerful, you can nerf it harder in the six-week patch. Um, so this is what I'm hoping that they do. It would make sense given this context that buffs make more sense because they are just looking to nudge a couple things to be on the same level as DK as opposed to taking DK away and leaving some more outliers. It feels like there are a lot more classes that just don't have anything to lean on or have like one thing they can do as opposed to this being so overwhelmingly powerful that it's warping the format. Yeah. Like, obviously, if there is a deck that kind of limits diversity right now, it is Frost. It's kind of preventing some stuff from being better than they can be. Uh, but uh, the main problem in this format when it comes to the deck diversity is that other classes just don't have really good options to compete. So what you want to do is you want to nerf the outliers at the top a little bit. But it's very clear when you're looking at the format that there are a lot of failing strategies and failing packages from Festival of Legends that are really cool and they don't see play, which is unfortunate. So you want to nudge them. You want to give people a reason to play new cards and new stuff because you look, you're looking at the report. All the top tier decks are just um, mostly, I think Outcast DH is the only exception. Most of them are just old decks playing a few new cards. So that's not exciting. That's not what you probably want at the launch of the expansion. In addition, if you nerf Death Knight too hard, what's going to happen if the, the other decks are not buffed, then uh, what happens is just a reorder of the top, like maybe Miracle Rogue gets out of control or something Ugh. like Outcast the Age or Undead Priest, and you didn't really do anything because you didn't buff failing strategies. So we'll talk about the end of the podcast. I want to talk about buffs and what they mean, but... The point is, Death Knight is really good, but if you nerf it too hard without buffing other stuff, then you may not it may not lead to the diversity of strategies that you want to get from it. So yeah, if you want to do well in Lada right now, play Death Knight Frost. Death, Death Knight is insane. The list that we have in the report is nutty. The Astalor wouldn't normally be included in the stack. It's mostly for the blood matchup. And... Based on the data that I'm getting, blood does not counter frost anymore. If you run Astalor and Posic, so oh wow, yeah, I, I actually think that the frost is favored into blood if you run Posic and Astalor. So yeah, this deck is kind of unstoppable and is very likely to be nerfed as a result. So. Second uh, most popular class at uh, the highest MMR brackets and one of the most influential in the format is uh, Demon Hunter. Uh, and Demon Hunter has two decks that are quite good. You have Outcast DH, very strong deck, strong against pretty much everything other than Blood and Frost. I think these are the main counters, um, which again brings you concern if you nerf those too hard. What happens to Outcast DH? So Outcast DH kind of surprises me. Uh, we talked about it in the first impressions of the podcast that this deck was kind of on a downward trend. And since we recorded that that episode, uh, it's kind of been on an upward trend. And there is no uh, 
There is one meta-related factor, which is the rise of Tony Druid, and Outcast DH is very good against Tony Druid. But what I did notice is that it just naturally improved in matchups over time without a clear reason, card choice related reason. Because the Outcast DH deck list is pretty much solved 29 cards, pretty much is, are the same. So there was no refinement. What caused this is just player skill, like improvement in piloting the deck. So it turns out this is the second most skill intensive deck in the format after Miracle Rogue, based on the. the Changes his matchups uh, from lower to higher levels of play. It's a difficult deck to, to navigate. And people have adjusted. They're adjusting in matchups. They're improving uh, uh, the deck's performance and standing against multiple uh, important archetypes in the format. And it's just getting better and better. And suddenly it's tier one at top legend again, which kind of indicates the nerf to Walloper. It probably would have happened eventually. Uh, but it's good to know that it didn't, it definitely didn't kill the deck, and the deck probably would have been required to nerf anyway at some point. I don't know if the ti the timing was a little weird early in the expansion, but based on, on the trajectory and the strength of this deck uh, uh, over time and how it improves, then it definitely would have been a nerf ca candidate anyway. Did they actually galaxy brain us one day in? That actually would have happened. <laughs> Possibly, but... Uh, but yeah, uh, last week I said, oh, maybe it would have been nerfed, but based on this trajectory, which it was pretty delayed, uh, then yeah, we probably would have nerfed this deck anyway. So we might even need to nerf it again. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of nutty. Um, Relic DH is another deck that's very good. Uh, it does get countered by Tony. It's a bit of an opposite deck to Outcast in terms of matchups. This deck arose in play to counter Blood Death Knight, while well, Blood Death Knight counters Outcast DH, while Tony Druid is a deck that kind of counters Relic DH. Um, so there were a lot of developments, and Relic DH went from non-existent to super busted, and let's nerf it to, oh, okay, it's actually balanced now. It's actually worse than Outcast DH at high levels of play at this point. It's been fluctuating very uh, rapidly. Um, the main thing about the build and the report when you look at it, it's just ultimate greed. The greediest card you can run, Astalor. Do you remember Relic DH running Astalor before? It was actually one of the only decks in the format that had a late game strat and resisted playing Astalor. Astalor wasn't that great. And suddenly Astalor is kind of good because of the matchup against Blood. You want to maximize that matchup is very popular. And even though you do counter Blood naturally, you're incentivized to greed up further in order to make sure you beat it more reliably. And Astral is a good card in the deck, or Zillag. Zillag is looking very strong in this archetype. The one card that I'm very, very unconvinced by is Fizzle. It looks like bait. It sounds like bait. It's not as bait in DH as it is in other archetypes where it's like clear trash. And even then, the main reason why... Fizzle is still in the deck is that I didn't find anything better. Like, I couldn't find anything better, and Immolation Aura seemed like a worse card than Fizzle in the current format, which is weird, but it's the result of, again, Frost and Blood Death Knight's dominance and popularity suppressing board-centric strategies to the point where AoE is really 
not prioritize. And you see it in multiple archetypes and Warlock as well, started to drop AOE effects because they're not useful against like a, a large majority of, of decks in the format right now that just don't flood the board because that gets punished by Frostmoon's Fury and uh, Blood Death Knight's uh, various AOE effects. So the list in the report or can already confirm to you it's looking very strong. But the moment I find something better than Fizzle, it's probably getting cut. That card is not particularly good. Um, and when it comes to Outcast DH deck refinement, um, the Sussius card is, we said in the report, it's uh Rowdy fan. That card is pretty much there to combo with Sathino in the Blood Death Knight matchup. If you don't run that combo, you're, you lose percentage points in that matchup, and that is the most difficult matchup, so it makes sense to continue running it. But the moment that Rowdy Fan is no longer prioritized, uh, or even now, I would try Pazic in that slot. Surprise! Yeah, Pazic. People started to play Pazic in Outcast DH, and while in at initial glance it's not as insane as it is in Frost at Night, it still looks like a very good card that belongs in the deck. So Pazic in Outcast DH, very likely to be included eventually. And if you want to do it now, you can do it now. Cut the Rowdy Fan, run Pazic. Uh, that probably helps you in most matchups on ladder. And since Pazic is a good card against Blood Death Knight as well, I'm not sure how much you actually lose in the matchup by cutting the Sethino combo. So, yeah. Pazic is a good card. I'm I'm unsurprised, but yes. Yeah. Good. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, so that's Death Knight. Uh, what's next? Druid? What's been going on with Druid? You got Death Knight, Demon Hunter, and Druid is the third most uh, influential card in the format. Just going alphabetically. Why not? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that is a, a little bit of a coincidence. But yeah, Druid, uh, very influential. Tony Druid has risen in play. People are trying all sorts of things. But the Mishmash, uh, the Mishmash Mosher and the Tornate Mock Combo really helped elevate this archetype. Uh, there are some, some people who are cutting the Mishmasher Combo and running alternative AoE effects such as uh, Street Sweeper. People are trying Street Sweeper. And based on the data, Street Sweeper does not seem good. I was uh, looking forward to seeing more data on it. I finally have data on it. I'm not convinced by it. At all, AoE effects, early game AoE effects, just don't seem to perform very well in the current format. Um, So even though Druid is weak to aggression and makes sense to run those AoE effects, it doesn't seem to move the needle in terms of performance, uh, general performance on ladder. This is the uh, EU... So uh, a Chinese player, Mian Ming, uh, got number one in EU and no hands amplified the list. Uh, it runs ETC and a Street Sweeper and it cuts Mishmash completely, as well as cutting Eternium off for uh, Chitinous Bleeding. Yeah, and uh, ETC is unsu- unsurprisingly bad. Uh, and, uh, and Street Sweeper is unconvincing. I, I don't think... This makes me want to change the list and cut the the list in the report. Um, there are some some stuff that it might need to do uh, during over time, but it depends. It really depends on what the balance changes are going to be and how that affects uh, the field. 
maybe we need AoE if Blood Death Knight gets nerfed and aggressive decks rise and it becomes really hard for the Tony Druid to survive. Maybe at that point, AoE effects are going to be have a stronger priority. But right now, where you're playing Tony Druid, mostly at high MMR brackets where Tony Druid is popular, because on the Climb the Legend, you see a lot of Paladins. That matchup is unwinnable almost. Uh, but at high levels of play, you're running into Mirrors. You're running into Relic Demon Hunters. Those matchups, AoE effects are really not it. Uh, or Frost, Blood, AoE effects are not particularly strong against them. So, uh, Tony Druid is okay. It's kind of teetering between Tier 3, Tier 2. It, it depends on where the wind blows, really, how many aggressive decks you're going to see. Uh, it's weaker outside of Legend because people play more aggressive decks there. So that is Druid, and or when it comes to Rogue, I've gotten some more data on you know the list that we propagated in the report. Looks good. Fizzle is insanely bad. I am still confused how we were led to 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 this point where some people thought that Fizzle was actually good. It is so bad. It is it, you know the, there are situations where our cards are kind of bad, but you're looking for a reason. You try to understand the thought process of why these cards were included in the deck. And sometimes those thought processes make sense. Sometimes I see a card that's really good in one matchup, and I fully understand why it was included in the deck. Yeah, they wanted to beat this deck, so they include this card. On average, though, this card is still bad, but it's a good card against in this specific matchup. When it comes to Fizzle, it has no redeeming qualities. People include it for the Blood Death Knight matchup, and yet Miracle Rogue does not become better against Blood Death Knight because, of, because it runs Fizzle. No. It does not move the needle at all in that matchup whatsoever. It doesn't help you win against everything. It's just a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three that shuffles a 2-mana spell in your deck that you may draw eventually in a game that gives you a an assortment of cards that you have little control over. Like, it's Miracle Rogue. You're not a deck that goes to turn 15 and can sit around with the fizzle in hand until the right moment uh, arrives to play it. And then, yeah, it just takes ages. The card just doesn't make sense. Uh, so I'm seeing people start to cut it. You're seeing, I think most people have already cut Fizzle from their Miracle World list in the, for the tournament this weekend. And uh, nothing's bad happened. You're cutting Fizzle and the deck gets better. This is what I'm seeing. The deck gets better after cutting Fizzle. Turns out, card is absolutely terrible. You could have seen this coming. Yeah. Other choices, I'm not sure. Like, I'm liking the Gone Fishing. I think the Gone Fishing really helps uh, Ajara. and helps uh, Sinstone. Uh, graveyard. It's just a card that was already included in Miracle Rogue, so why not run it? Some people in the tournament are running uh, Colt Neophytes in order to help in the DH matchup. Uh, maybe you, like it, it makes sense to like in the mirror. Maybe you run Neophyte. There is a thought thinking pattern. I'm not convinced that Neophyte is good on ladder. It makes sense on ladder, but they're doing it in tournament. I th I understand the reason. Over here, I understand the reason. Um, so that. That's kind of it for Miracle Rogue. Seeker Rogue is also seen playing. It's okay. Uh, I like the list that we have in the report. No ETC. People are doing the ETC nonsense thing, but it, it looks terrible. Uh, 
Secret package, you want to prioritize things that affect board, that produce board. So ambush and uh, sticky situations are good. Uh, if you've ever played Secret Rogue and you've played Double Cross, you know how bad <laughs> that card is. Basically, it's two mana do nothing until your opponent decides that you're allowed to draw. I want it to be Dirty Tricks so bad, and it is so not Dirty Tricks. And Dirty Tricks wasn't even good. It wasn't even that good it of a card. So fine. this is. It was okay in a secret package, right? But this card is not even good in a secret package. So um feels pretty bad. There was one other thing I want to say about Rogue. I'm kind of interested. There is a Menagerie Rogue. Okay, I saw this and I was like, is there a bug on the website? But I saw this. Like, is it a, is it a real thing? I see it in my data. There is a list that is a Menagerie Rogue deck. Yeah, basically, it's like you're running like early game, the pirate, the Jolly Roger, the party animal. You're running like Rolling Stone and Beatboxer, which is a mech, and you're running like Click Clocker. It's it's a, it's a Menagerie Rogue deck, and it doesn't seem terrible. And I'm kind of interested. And it runs Breakdance. What you do with Breakdance there, I think you can you can Breakdance the um, the one Amalgam Band, and it's kind of nutty. You can uh, break dance the party animal. I wonder if you want to run shadow step in the stack, and you just shadow step the party animal. That seems a little bit baity, but it's kind of interesting. But there might be something there. I don't know. It's it's not a lot of data, but there's a menagerie rogue, and it doesn't seem terrible. So I don't know where it came from. I'm I'm looking right now. I have to know. I'll I'll let you know when I find out. Yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Uh, we need to credit whoever made that uh, that thing. <laughs> credit slash blame. Yeah. Okay. Paladin. Paladin. Um, really good at low MMR. Really, really powerful. Like its win rate, like at gold, gold through bronze, is like over sixty percent. So, under that condition, I sort of understand why Team Five wanted to nerf it um, last week. Uh, because what happens is you have a new expansion and rotation like comes out. That's when you have the the largest number of new or returning players to Hearthstone when there is rotation and a new expansion. So they come in, they play the game, they get just stomped by Death Knights and Pure Paladins uh, with their new cards or whatever exciting things they wanted to try. So... Um, Consider Pure Paladin was the best is the best deck at the lower MMR brackets and where you know newer returning players start playing Hearthstone again. I can I can see why they wanted to address it, but it's just that the light ray nerf didn't really do anything there. It's still a noob stomper of a deck. Uh and it's still extremely powerful. At high MMR, it's it's trending to be bleh, you know, it's trending to be like a tier three deck. It's it's not particularly strong because against the best decks, you look at its matchup spread. If you go top legend matchup spread on, on, on our website, it beats nothing other than Tony Droid. It gets rolled over by Outcast DH, gets rolled over by Frost Death Knight, gets rolled over by Miracle Rogue. Like the good established decks at the high MMR brackets usually exploit Pure Paladin very, very hard. And since the deck is very predictable... And you don't even run order in the court anymore. You don't have the countess consistency that you had before. Then the deck is kind of uh, falls off. 
Now, I did uh, try to th uh, experiment, um, look into ordering the cord. It's not the same card it was before rotation for this deck, it seems. Like, this deck prioritizes early aggression, getting in your face and with the Divine Shield Synergy Package. And ordering the court doesn't seem that good. Where you pivot to the late game, it doesn't seem to be as powerful as it was uh, before rotation. Um, yeah, so Pure Paladin is kind of... It's it's really strong at lower MMR brackets, but you're going to notice how much worse it gets once you get to the higher, higher rank brackets. Okay, Mech Paladin is very similar to Pure Paladin in terms of behavior. There's nothing particularly exciting there. Big Paladin, I really wish this deck was actually viable, but it's nowhere near. It's just nowhere near. There was some, some cute idea. The best thing to do with Big Paladin, if you guys are wondering, is to run uh, Rivendare and Frontlines. So what happens is uh, you play Mask Reveler, and the Mask Reveler has plenty of good targets. Uh, but sometimes the Mask Reveler even can spawn a Rivendare or you just play Rivendare from your hand, or bounce it from Kangor. And once Rivendare dies, and you shuffle the horsemen into your deck, you play frontlines, and the frontlines pull out the horsemen, and very quickly, the next turn, you can equality and kill your own horsemen very easily. And that's quite effective against something like a Blood Death Knight, because unless they patchwork your horsemen, um... It, it, it can get kind of rough. You also run Flesh Behemoth. So the Flesh Behemoth can pull a Rivendare. Sometimes you're going to have multiple Rivendares, which makes patchwork more difficult to actually disrupt your win condition. So that's very cute. I tried this deck. It's fun, but it's bad. It just, it's just not good enough. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit sad. Well, what can you do? Yeah, I mean... You could buff it. <laughs> they could. Uh, they could buff it. <laughs> I really want them to buff it. They could make Lead Dancer not a terrible card. They could. I mean, Lead Dancer is not terrible, but it's not... Like, make it, like, as good as Possessed Lackey um, was. It's not like it has a dark pack. Paladin cannot immediately summon the Inoratron. There is some time. There is some counterplay there, so... I don't know. It seems like really underwhelming for a card that like uh, the big paladin is very reliant on finding Kangor. When you have the Kangor on five or coin turn four, then the deck feels really good. I played it. I won when uh, you win games when Kangor, you find it and you play it as soon as possible. That card is nutty. But if you don't have Kangor, then you're not even playing a deck. It feels like you're just, yeah, you're a big paladin. You're a big deck that doesn't have ways to, to summon the big stuff quickly enough. Uh, so that's a problem. Okay, Priest. Undead Priest is very good. I don't think that is a huge surprise. Um, what is interesting is that the Swarm build is very competitive. Uh, one of the things that the Swarm build does better is beat Tony Druid because you're swarming the, the board and that makes it life more difficult for for the dread it's also a little bit better against demon hunters since again you're looking at relic dh it starts to cut uh immolation aura so going wide uh is more effective it's also better against miracle rogue 
because Miracle Rogue doesn't have AOE, great AOE tools other than, you know, Blood Mage Downloads Fan. That's pretty much it. And the priest can very much uh, burn it down and swarm it from the board. It's very hard for it to come back if it falls behind and doesn't have the, you know, the flurry swings with Krabato and stuff like that. So that's pretty much what wins you the, the matchup uh, as Rogue. And it doesn't seem to come up uh, reliably enough. So the swarm build is quite effective in that matchup. It is worse against Frost and Blood, uh, Death Knight, because it's more board-centric than the than the Burn Resurrect variant, but it is quite good. There are some things that I'm curious about when it comes to the Swarm build. Are uh, any of them POSIC? One of them is POSIC. Surely this deck should run POSIC. Uh, this is a POSIC deck. Surely it's, you run POSIC. You want to know how, how, it's a, how I know it's a POSIC deck? It has a one drop in it. Put POSIC in the deck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so first thing, if you're running the Swarm build, I would absolutely... Even if you're running the Burn build, eh, just run POSIC. The idea at least makes sense. I would like to see more data on POSIC in general, yes. in the archetype. Definitely in the Swarm build. I would bet money that it's good in the Swarm build. In the Burn variant, I'd like to see data on that. I think it makes sense that POSIC would be good. The other thing is cards like Amalgam of the Deep and Mind Eater are kind of value cards, but they are included in the Swarm build because they're undeads. But I do wonder if we want to run things like Bone Flinger and uh, Vrykul Necrolite, things like that. Maybe a Nerubian Vizier. It's a bit weird that this deck does not run Nerubian Vizier, the list that we have in the report. This is a this is a list that I could not curate. I could not refine it because it's literally. A list of thirty cards, and no, and very few people are trying other stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of inertia from like the animate dead builds, and Nerubian yes. Vizier makes a lot of sense if you're not doing that. Yeah, Nerubian Vizier, Pazic, uh, Necrolite, and uh, Bone Flinger. I would try those cards instead of like the the weird value cards that this deck currently runs. That you know, this is this is not really a value deck. This deck just wants to control the board as hard as possible and launch face damage. So and end games quickly. So I don't know about the value. Norbin Vizier is the one card that gives you value but also helps you accelerate the game since the discount can allow you to get ahead. Yeah. The list we have on the website has two psychic conjurers in in it. Like clearly that there has to be a better card than psychic conjurer, right? I don't know. The thing the th the one thing about psychic conjurer that I would hold back on cutting is the fact that it's a one drop mm. and that is kind of good, but Mind Eater is like a two mana, three, two, essentially. It's not like in Amalgam of the Deep, it's not really. Uh, the thing about Amalgam of the Deep is very often you just get slow options, like slow undead cards that don't really fit the game plan. So these cards are for me weak and can definitely be upgraded, especially when there are two mana undeads right there that have an immediate impact, a better impact on the board like Necrolite and Bone Flicker. So I'm curious about that. Obviously, just run POSIC. I mean, it's <laughs> pretty obvious. Um, yeah, Control Priest, not very good. Control Priest got collateral damage. Uh, since, you know, Blood Rise, it kind of rose and played to compete within the late game. But once the Tony Druids and the Relic DHs uh, came up, it kind of fell off really hard in terms of win rate, even at higher levels of play. At Top Legend, it's worse than it is throughout the rest of Ladder. That's how bad it is, despite the fact that this is a pretty difficult deck to play that improves in matchups uh, at higher rank brackets. Despite that, it's worst at top legend because of the Tony Druids and the Relic DHs. 
People are desperately running Dirty Rat. If Dirty Rat is ever good in this deck, that's when you need to delete the deck because it means that the matchups are impossible. It's so hard. And Dirty Rat does not help you enough. Nowhere near. Uh, I've seen I've seen people hit run Theotar. You don't even have time to Theotar. Like, there is no time. Like, I'm looking at Theotar, it's, it's terrible. And why is it terrible? Because turn six, it's too slow. By that time, the Relic DH already played the Relic Vault into the dimensions and discounted their entire hand. What are you going to do? You're going to steal one card? Even if you steal the best card uh, from a Relic DH, you're still going to die in that matchup. It, it's just too late. And Tony Druid can go off so hard and so quickly with Anubrakan that Theotar is like almost like it's too slow uh, in order to, to do anything there. So Priest is, Conhorpus uh, is in pretty rough shape. Unfortunately. Yeah. Speaking of things in rough shape. Warlock, yeah. So obviously Chad is sad, and it's not a very good deck right now. We do have a lead in the report in terms of potentially improving its matchups against late game strategies. You've got Habeas Corpses, which is a, a way to, again, kind of duplicate threats uh, and provide additional density uh, in late game matchups. You've got Shallow Grave, which kind of it's more of a late game combo with Amorphous Slime that really helps you put more stuff on the board that can overwhelm an opponent. Those cards seem to be really good right now. Uh, we cut Hellfire and Harp, which is very surprising, but Harp is lower impact that, than I expected. And Hellfire, again, AoE effects uh, are just not, not that great. Some people are running Alexstrasza and Zola, and I'm not convinced by these cards. They don't seem great. They're not terrible. That surprises me. Yeah, they're they're not terrible, but it's like Cover Artist is a card that looks quite good and better than them. And I'm not convinced that you should be cutting cut of Cover Artist, especially when the deck's main area for improvement is the late game matchups. So we'll see what happens. I'm not writing off Alex Traz and Zola, but it's not enough to move the needle. Like the deck becomes better. It's not as terrible as it looks statistically in the report in the report it looks like deep tier four maybe you can push chad warlock to be like low tier three but that's like the ceiling that's as good as it gets uh in the current format it's just it just doesn't compete well enough against the other late game powerhouses and it's very fragile defensively uh, pure paladin stomps on it as hard as it stomps tony dread and other aggressive decks really you know Give it a hard time. Impor lock doesn't look good enough. It's it's not it's not there. It's not close to being there. Um, maybe it needs buffs. Maybe it needs a better meta environment. It's just rough for it at the moment because of the death knights. Uh, the death knight population is making it really difficult. Well, and also there's just there's no reason to play it over. There are other decks with similar matchup spreads, but that are just better. Yeah, things like Totem Shaman, for example, are just clearly superior. So even if you wanted to run an aggressive deck that floods the board, Totem Shaman just seems like a better choice. Uh, oh, it is. I can't wait to okay. talk about that deck. But uh, we're done with Warlock. Let's talk about talk about Mage. Talk about Cosmic Keyboard. Cosmic Keyboard rules. Yeah, Cosmic... Okay, so... 
it's uh, infiltrating the tournament this weekend. Lots of people are brought Mage, and Mage is looking quite promising with a Cosmic Keyboard build. The list that they're running is different than the list that we have in the report. In the report, I wanted to see more data on the Vexilus package because there's a list that runs 27 good cards and then, like, Shooting Star and Astalor. And the Shooting Star looks really bad, and you want an alternative spell. Some people are trying uh, Flame Geyser uh, as the sixth spell alongside the volume up. That could work as well with the Astalor. Or you can cut the Astalor and run Vexilus uh, with Arcane Bolt and have a late-game combo to kill a Blood Death Knight with. This is what I'm trying to see. Um, since those cards, like the 27 cards look pretty good, and then you have the three cards that you want to add on top of it that I'm less sure about. But what I am sure about is this is the most competitive mage archetype that I've seen. We're getting more data on it. We're going to get more data on it because... Uh, in the future, because people are brought into tournaments now. Uh, so this is probably what you want to do as a mage uh, in the current format. This, this deck looking good, looking superior to the aggressive build, which is also pretty competitive. Uh, the aggressive spooky mage list is looking okay. It's fine. It's definitely, you could take it to the ladder and not be completely embarrassed. But the cosmic keyboard build looks better uh, for a spooky mage. And I want to see more data on it and exploration on what the last three cards could be. The Astalor Geyser, I like it more than the Shooting Star, uh, but there are other stuff that you might experiment with. The Vexilus is more of a uh, experiment. I don't have enough data on Vexilus to see whether it's worth running in the deck. If Death Knight get nerfed, then Vexilus would probably get worse in general. Yeah, so so Mage is very Mage is competitive. Mage is not a dead class. The Cosmic Keyboard build is convincing me that. It definitely has a spot in the current meta. The problem is that's pretty much all Mage has, right? It doesn't have other options. It has bad options. Yeah, it has bad options. Mech Mage is mediocre to bad. Uh, people are trying to run their, like, there's this new secret Mage build that runs Cosmic B Keyboard that they're trying to bring into the format. It's looking really bad. Uh, Light Show is a meme. Mana Storm Mage never had a chance. People are trying to cope with Naga Mage. It's nowhere near. Its win rate is like in the 30s, in the low 30s. The Copium is so strong. So, with so strong. Naga People are desperate <laughs> yeah. for Naga Mage. Desperate. Yeah, it just it doesn't work. Another class that is giving me some signs of hope that it just took some time to figure out is uh, Hunter. Okay, hold on. The list, the list that you land on for this report, I cannot believe where it landed. Cannot believe that we are full on cope of Quelthalos. Forget about the cope of Quelthalos. This list is so greedy. But I made it intentionally greedy because I, you look at the data, hat. It's insane how much late game Hunter wants because of the blood, the the death line matchups have encouraged it to be insanely greedy. So Ajara is nutty in Face Hunter now because of Bananas and Monkeys. You just have such an easy time activating the Ajara. And sometimes in a Face Hunter deck, you take the weapon, the Pyroblast weapon, the two-mana weapon that deals 10 damage. You just take that and you just face race your opponent. You can absolutely do that in this deck, and it can work. Uh, and a Random Colossal is definitely good. You just put tons of stats and kill him. So... The, Azara is looking very good. 
Mr. Mukla is not seeing much play, and we had it in the original build. It looks insane because the meta is quite slow, and it's very good against something like a Blood Death Knight. So you run that. Cope of Quelthalas. This card, like the meta again, is so greedy that this card is looking better than Jungle Jammer, which is a shock to me. But it just seems good. Also, School Teacher is insane in this deck as an alternative four drop, which made it easier for me to drop the jammer and delay my weapon turn. Uh, it also works a little bit better with Wild Seed because if you're running, if you're playing a poacher on two, or you're playing um, Wild Spirits on three, then it kind of clashes with the jungle jammer. But by turn six, where you have the uh, hope of Quelthalas when you can equip it, you probably use both charges of your uh, weapon from the stag. So you have breathing room to play another weapon at that point. And then the weapon carries a lot of value in grinding matchups, which makes which makes it quite decent in the current format, which is where why I let it at that build. You also want more damage, and if you're getting to turn seven anyway, might as well run Hydralodon, and then you've got collateral damage. So the deck has tons and tons of damage. Astalor is one of the best cards in this deck. Like, that's nuts to me. Like, this is supposedly a face hunter, yet it's good enough that Astlor, a card that really comes online on turn 10, is a card that you should be running in this deck. This reminds me a lot of how good, and how, like, of the shape that Hunter took a year ago in Voyage, where, like, you still had a good aggressive openings, but you wanted to add Renathal because the 10 life mattered and you were able to go late and you were good at going late, even though you had a bunch of ones and twos. Kind of the same vibe. Yeah, exactly. And you just need to run as much damage as possible to have the ability to kill Death Knights. Uh, Krakenbane, for the first time, Krakenbane looks like a very good card in a deck. Thanks to Bananas and Monkeys, it can activate more easily. This is a card that wasn't even good in Quest Hunter, a deck that ran all spells, and it wasn't particularly good there. But in this deck, you really need more burst, more reach from hand, and Hunter doesn't have a lot of burst in the current format after rotation, so Krakenbane offers that. I like Krakenbane. I squint at it in my hand sometimes, and if I, if I make my vision blurry enough, it looks like an aim shot, and I'm happy. It is kind of... Uh... But it's it just activates more easily in this build because you're running the bananas and the monkeys, and you have some consistency there. You can run a trinket tracker, which helps you find your bananas more often, and you can fuel your win conditions more easily. What I am a little bit wary of is whether we can fit all of this late game together because most builds on ladder in Hunter don't run all of this. They kind of choose between the Hydralodon collateral damage or they choose between the Mukla and the Queen Ajara. They don't run all the Pazic, Ajara, Mukla. That, that is very greedy. However, I can say they based on how Relic DH is doing. It was the same principle. In Relic DH, I saw all the late game win conditions do well, and I said, let's run all of them. And that works. It's working for Relic DH. So it might be working very well here too. Because the current meta just tells you greed, greed, greed. Run as many threats, as much damage as you can in order to have enough stuff to kill a Blood Death Knight with. Um, but it's also relevant in other stuff, in other matchups as well. It's not just the Blood Death Knight. The meta in general is very greedy. Okay. 
Uh, Big Beast Hunter, run the hybrid build. That's the only way this deck can compete. And even then, I think it's just a worse face hunter. It's kind of good because it can have the face hunter early game and has a good late game. But the Big Beast stuff, going with Big Dreams and uh, um, uh, Thorn Heart is just not, it's not it. It's not working. This is terrible. Okay. Shaman, you want to talk about Totem Shaman, huh? Oh, uh, uh, this, the new build that we have in the report is so much fun. Oh, you've been playing it. Oh, I've been playing it. You spew all this stuff into the board early. Totemic evidence gets pretty crazy pretty fast. And then we do this new exciting thing with the build in the report. We bloodlust and we kill them. And then they die. It's We're actually like surprisingly resistant to blood boil because our minions just kind of buff themselves out of range again. And then also our opponent dies. Great. Big fan. Love it. And it looks like it's performing too. It's 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 a, the build looks very good. Um, it's an improvement on existing builds of uh, Totem Shaman on ladder right now. Uh, I, I would say it's at least a one percent upgrade. Totem Shaman is a tier one deck. Make no mistake about it. Maybe it's tier two a top legend, but this is one of the best decks on ladder. This is one of the best decks on the climb. And again, the message is greed. Double Blood Dust in a Death Knight format, absolutely. On top of it, you just run as much card draw as possible. You don't even run Gorlock Ravager. You're running Famish Fool. And the reason why you're running Famish Fool is because Clownfish is not even good in the current meta. Like, imagine it. Clownfish is not good in the current meta. Why is it not good in the current meta? Because accelerating some mana that's conditional on you finding an amalgam, right? The amalgams, is not particularly worth it. What you want is draw. You want card draw. This deck is so desperate for card draw that I'm running Ancestral Knowledge. This card would not be in this deck in any other circumstance. Like, this card does not belong in this deck. Just for this format, because you don't want the Blood Death Knight to run you out of threats. You run Famishful, you're running Ancestral Knowledge, so you can always load the board, load the board, and stress the Death Knight of its removal toolkit. So they eventually, the moment they run out of removal and you produce a board that they cannot clear, you have a bloodless and you can kill them. That is the purpose of the Famish Fool and the Ancestral Knowledge. And everything else, win conditions, threats, greed. That's the message. And Jive is not good. Why is Jive Insects not good? Asphyxiate. Because you transform it, and what they do, they just asphyxiate it, and you get overloaded for two the next turn. It makes it harder for you to reload the board. It, it just leads to kind of a blowout, and they actually get ahead. And the eight damage is not enough to kill them because they're, they they play Vampiric Blood. They have a ton of health. So, yeah. So, But these adjustments are very good. In fact, the build that we have in the report does not lose to Blood Death Knight. I beat two of them right before the show in a row. Fantastic. Tons of fun. Uh, I will also note, for those of you looking for some play advice here, uh, here's my number one tip. Draw a carving chisel. Because, boy, that card in the mulligan data looks like an enormous outlier. Really, really nice. Really strong. Yeah, I mean, it accelerates everything. It accelerates the Gigan Totem. It accelerates things from below. It works really well with Anchor Totem. It's just it's just good with everything that you're doing. It uh, infuses your Totemic Evidence. It infuses your Party Favor Totem. It's just good. Okay, 
infuses your famishful. <laughs> just everything works well with it. It, okay. it. It's all of it. It's all of it at once. Really, really good. Overload, overload Chama needs buffs. Needs buffs. Okay. Warrior. Here is the biggest update of this podcast. Oh, did Ant break it? Did Ant break it? What What did Ant do? He posted an Enrage Warrior decklist that he got to top 200 with. I'm guessing that the list I'm looking that's performing super well is his list. Does it run two instrument techs? And it no sure does. Big yep. top end? Yeah. No black rock and roll, just Enrage Warrior on a low it's, curve. It's with Ant. Like... Consistency, no cuteness, hit him in the <laughs> face. Yes. Yeah. Rancher, yeah. That's Ant list. Okay, so everybody... Go to AntHS on Twitter, and if you want to play a good warrior deck, that's the deck you want to play. Because in Rage Warrior, with an aggressive curve, you know, I didn't see enough data on it before the report, and I specifically wrote in the report, I am curious, we are curious about aggressive in Rage Warrior list with a lower curve. We'd like to see more of that. Ant gave me more of that. Thank you, Ant. And I have confirmation, and Rage Warrior is a good deck. How good deck? How good of a deck is it? Very, very good. Very, very good. When I say very good, somewhere between tier one and tier two, uh, throughout most of ladder, this deck is very strong. It has great potential. Uh, the list instrument tech is fantastic for imbued axe. It works much where much better uh, with weapons expert. I am curious about cutting the Grom and running Remornia. I know, even though it means that instrument tech draws imbued acts with less consistency, Remornia, I feel, is a card that maybe you want to run instead of Grom in this kind of deck because you can buff it and it gives you reach. But maybe you just cut, uh, maybe you, you you cut the Grom and run something else. I think Grom might be too slow for the for the high curve, but everything else looks very clean. I really like the look of it. The eggs work well. I actually queued into this kind of deck. Uh, before Ant posted his list, and I got r- raffle stomped uh, by a very fast and rage warrior, and I was impressed with it. And I looked at data and kind of told me that maybe the aggressive list could be better, but I couldn't really say it. But now I can, I can definitely say it. And rage warrior is good. Warrior is absolutely competitive. I know that so for some players this will not matter because uh, for some players warrior is control warrior, and if Control Warrior is not viable, then that means Warrior is not viable. But Warrior is viable, and if you want to build, play a good deck that's like, it's Totem Shaman level, then play this list. It's it's quite strong. So Enrage Warrior is viable, which kind of means Hat, that Warlock is the worst class in the game, pretty much. And huh. is the only one where it's like... Super- there are viable decks in every class. Mage found a viable deck. Hunter has a viable deck. Shaman has a viable deck. Every class has a viable deck, except Warlock. And while that is good news, uh, the, 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 the issue is that most of these classes have one viable deck and there are just no other options. And most of these options have nothing to do with Festival of Legends. Yeah. Like the Enrage Warrior list... The Festival of Legend card is like instrument tech. Everything else is old. Everything else is old. So 
if you want to try the new cards, it feels like you almost can't. Like, there are a lot of packages, and I tweeted about this, that Festival of Legends is a really cool, like, cool expansion, and it has a lot of stuff that I want to try, but it just feels like I can't do it, which is, which is why I think we need buffs, and we're getting buffs. Which brings us to my uh, final point, which is talking about buffs. So there are some players who are concerned about, you know, Death Knight coming off of a six rotation meta and having no rotation and just dominating the four set meta. So what happens is team five are going to buff the rest of the classes to put it in line. And oh my God, the power creep is going to be insane. I think power creep, I, I fully understand what power creep means. But I think people overuse this term as a boogeyman that is not actually a, a real problem. And let me tell you why. If there is a card that is a bad card that sees no play and you buff it until it becomes good and playable, that doesn't constitute power creep. You're not power creeping the format. Power creeping is when you take a card that's already good and you buff it and make it even better. That's when a buff may not work out as well. And that has happened in the past when they buffed cards that were already good. If you're buffing a card that's like a 2 out of 10 and sees no play, and you buff it to a 7 out of 10 and now it's competitive with the other 7 out of 10 cards, you're not power creeping the format. You're just giving players more good cards to play with. In fact, complaining about power creep is contradictory to suggesting or proposing or supporting a more diverse format because formats that are more powerful on average with more good cards are also going to be more diverse because when you have more good cards in a format you have more options to play with we've kind of seen that already in this format right like once the refinement uh, process really started for non-Death Knight decks, we've seen things even out. You know, things got a little nudge from the patch, but that's not really it. Core gave all the classes some good tools. And now, like you said, every single class except maybe Warlock has something to do. And Warlock, like, you could convince yourself that Chad Warlock is a good thing to do. It isn't, but you could convince yourself. Um, but the other 10 classes have at least one thing to do before the first like meditated balance change on the format because core gave us more to do and because last year had some cool stuff going on uh then we have choices and this format i think feels a lot better than i expected when i saw the core set because i was worried it was going to be too much and it really wasn't no but this format could be more diverse but the way to yes. diversify the format is to continue to buff the 2 out of 7 cards into 7 out of 10 cards and make it more playable, make more options. Now, I'll give you a very good example from the past where we had expansions in 2015 or 2016 where like 80% of the cards in a set in an expansion set were just not playable. And back then, you had maybe, what, 8, 10 competitive decks? And these days, we very often have well over 20 competitive decks. We have like... Just last expansion, March of the Lit King, we had like 25, sometimes even close to 30 playable options, playable competitive decks. And the reason why this is happening is not because Team 5 are power creeping the game. It's because Team 5 are genuinely trying to make every card have a purpose. They're not printing filler. They're printing far less filler than they did before. And they're trying to 
generally make every card have a competitive purpose in some deck or some use. Some of them are going to be more fringe of a, than others, but you no longer see these worgen greaser type of cards that they just throw into a set and have no chance of seeing play. It's just basically a waste of a card slot. That card just sits in the collection and does nothing. Instead, there is more purpose. There are more good cards around. And that doesn't choke out the format. It actually makes it more diverse. So more power across the board makes a format more diverse because classes have more powerful things they can do. That, which means it's more likely that a, a certain class will have more than one competitive archetype because you've got this card that's really good and you can build around that, but you also have another card that's maybe very different and you build a different deck around it, but it's also good and can lead to a competitive deck. So that's the first thing I want to say, that if you have more power across the board, you're more likely to create a diverse format. There is one exception, though, and the exception is obvious and very understandable. If there is one deck that's overpowered, that's too good, it might be too good to the point where it becomes a tyrant that oppresses other strategies and doesn't give them a chance to compete and breathe. We've seen that plenty of time throughout Hearthstone history. It happens at least once in expansion. We have a deck that's too good. That's not power creep. That just means that there is an imbalance and you just balance this deck. So buffs are good because if you buff bad cards and make them playable, you can potentially diversify the format. But they don't replace nerfs. What you do is you nerf power outliers that are oppressive and choke out the format in order to encourage diversity. And you buff cards that are not playable to encourage diversity. Both things don't replace each other. Buffs, if you only buff things without nerfing oppressive power outliers, then the decks you're trying to buff and bring into the format still cannot compete because there is a tyrant, there's an oppressive force that doesn't let anybody else compete. But if you both nerf the power outliers at the top and buff the power outliers at the bottom, you are making two things. You're doing two things that encourage meta diversity. They don't replace each other. They're not meant to be one or the other. We're not either buffing things or nerfing things. We're nerfing the power outliers that choke out a format. And we're buffing things that have no chance of seeing play. And this is what Team 5 should do. This is what I expect them to do. And this is what good designers do. Yeah, I mean, we've had formats where the new cards come out and are super duper powerful and then people complain about beta testing and expansion. How do they not catch this? And so now they aimed like ever so slightly lower just to make sure they had wiggle room. And the format's pretty decent. Just the new cards, you kind of get punished for playing them. Uh, and the older strategies, in particular Death Knight, seem to be real outliers. Uh, like they feel that way at least, even though statistically speaking... Like, Blood is the one that's most popular, and it's the one that's least an outlier. So, they they can't do both things at once, of push really strong new cards, and deal with complaints about beta testing, or be safer, and then get complaints the new set is bad. They gotta pick one, and then buffs seem like just a different angle that they can take. Yeah, I mean, naturally, a first expansion of a rotation has been the weakest one every year. It's was Barons, it was Sunken City, it was Festival of Legends. It makes sense from a design perspective to make the first expansion weaker than the other ones that follow follow it throughout the year. It's absolutely intended. 
maybe in this case, Festival Legend was a little bit on the lower power and the lower impact and ended up being that way. It's very hard to predict this kind of thing. You can't expect Team 5 to know of these things. Uh, they can't test millions of games. They can't replicate what happens when the game goes live. And if you, such a situation occurs, then you buff the things that maybe you were overly careful about. Maybe you were overly careful about warrior rifts. And now that you see them in play, maybe you can buff them out. Maybe you were a little bit too scared about what would happen with Overload Shaman, and now that you're seeing that this deck is nowhere near competitive, you might buff it uh, at this point. So this is a natural process of iteration. The other thing I want to mention, for example, another process of design iteration. It's very often getting memed where you have a card, uh, let's say Team 5 made a card like four years ago with a certain effect, right? And that card never saw play because it wasn't good enough. It was either too expensive or the effect was overcosted. They overestimated what the, the effect's power would be. And the card never saw play. And they never buffed it. And years later, they design a similar card with a similar effect. And it's much more powerful now and it sees play. That's not power creep, guys. We're not... We're, when, you, when you make a card with a similar effect that's much more powerful, now sees play, you didn't power creep, you just iterate the design. There was an effect that was interesting, that was, was worth re-exploring, and we learned from the past that if you budgeted in a certain way, it just doesn't see play. It just sits in the collection and collects dust. It's just nothing. So you re does that mean we can never print a card like that again of fear of power creep? No. What a waste. That would be if we had a cool idea, we made a card and never saw play and we would never revisit that in a higher power level because it would be power creep. It is silly. It's good design to look at past uh, examples of cards, try to make them better. And we've seen that plenty of time over the years where they just reiterated design or buff things that were in the core set, in the classic set in 2014 and are outdated and they made them better. Feral Spirit... Lightning Storm, Shadow Ascendant. I wanted to play Shadow Ascendant so badly when it came out, and it was unplayable, and now it's good, and I'm happy. You just play it, and it's good. Shadow Ascendant actually saw constructive play in Spiteful Priest, if you remember. But that oh, was yeah. pretty much it. You remember? that? that I mean, it saw was play because it was a minion. Like, yeah. <laughs> the actual only reason it saw play was because it was not a spell. Yeah, so now they updated. It's a 2-3, and it's an undead, and it ceased play. Does it hurt anyone? No. Well, hopefully it hurts my opponent when I hit them with the foul egg. Yes, but it allows the swarm build, for example, to be more viable. Imagine the swarm build would not be viable, and you only had the burn option. So here is a good example of things that encourage format diversity. You have more options, so you can, you can build decks in different ways. So this is what I'm saying. So power creep is one thing, but if you know what to buff, if you buff cards that are not playable, that are not good, and don't see play, they basically don't exist, and you introduce them to the format, you're encouraging diversity. And again, the buffs do not replace nerfs. They need to be in combination with nerfs. If there's a deck that prevents things from being played because it's too oppressive, you nerf that. Buffs do, would not solve that problem. That's totally understandable. So you do both of these things. It's not black and white. It's not one or the other. You do both and things get better. And hopefully this is what's going to happen next week in the patch. 
and we're going to be able to play more Festival of Legends cards, more cool stuff, and we're going to have more fun. Uh, that's it. I'm I looking forward so. to that. Same. Yep. Uh, the, the origin of the power creep term is from older games that had non-rotating formats where when you have a format where, that you don't change, if wild is your main format, and then you have to print a new card that sees play, you have to make each set more powerful successfully because your format never gets weaker. So you have to creep up the power. Yeah. But we have rotation, thankfully. Yeah. But power creep would be what happened if if Blizzard had to design cards for wild. If they had to make exactly. cards and said each set has to give us something that's good in wild. Now, sometimes this ends up happening because wild, like one card will fit into some wacky combo or whatever and will just enable and break things, but... There's a reason they don't design for wilds because it is impossible to keep up with. Yep, pretty much. And rotation very much uh, solves the biggest issue when it comes to power creep. But again, if if you if you give me a card from 2015 and didn't see play, and you're telling me that there's a new iteration in 2023 that's much better, that's not power creep. That's design iteration, guys. We're trying to make the effect actually playable, so we're trying again. Uh, that's fine. And again, cards that don't see play basically don't exist. So what's the what's the point of maintaining their soul or not power creeping them? They even manage ah, they even managed to make Silverback Patriarch playable. They made an unplayable dis- form. Is, is does it hurt anyone? No. I'm glad that we have Patriarch on the board again. Uh again, finally, we have Patriarch on the board. Uh but yeah. Well, that'll do it for this episode. We're very excited about the buffs coming up, but this format is proving to be pretty interesting. Uh, I'm going to ask Zach after the show to build me a Swarm Undead Priest decklist, and we'll see if we can get some data if I can kill some people or both, preferably both. Um, but otherwise, listeners, thank you so much for listening, for tuning in, and really, like, thank you for thank you to everybody for all of your support. Uh, the response to the announcement I made has been so, so positive. It's really, really nice. Um, so VS Gold, VS Silver, Patreon members, thank you so much for your support specifically and look forward to the next report after the Balance Patch. We'll have an early impressions podcast at some point next week. We'll see when it is. Evil Dave, thank you so much for the podcast transcriptions. Steven Sensei, thank you so much for the intro and outro. And we'll talk to you all soon. The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers. <laughs>